Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Now, some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. Like many others, I first heard of Johnny Landry and his music back in 1985 when he released a three-song 45. My ears were drawn to the production of these songs in that they were the first that I had heard from a northern artist that used synthesizers and drum machines, which were fairly new technologies at the time. The songs are all epic northern anthems. The conviction and defiance in Johnny's voice was something else I had not heard from a northern artist before. That release definitely motivated me and probably many others to step up our songwriting craft and production value of our own music in a big way. The hit from that 45, Hina Nahoho Hine, has become a northern anthem over the years, crossing generational and cultural barriers. Johnny goes deep when he talks about the spirituality and the inspiration of his songwriting. He is passionate about incorporating the traditional tea dance songs and the teaching of the Denny Laws into the songs he writes. Johnny continues to be a champion for the Degoatin and the Dene Zati language. In the interview, he also talks of playing music with Métis fiddle prodigy, the late Cole Crook. This will be another two-part podcast, longer than most, because I could not bring myself to edit out any of his stories or his insights. Johnny starts out talking of his very early years as a young boy, living on the land with his family. Like I was born at the mouth of the river by the lake, uh, North Channel, uh, by the Great Safe Lake, until mm-hmm. I was six years old or something, and then we moved to town from there. Raised in the bush, like, till six years old. Living a traditional yeah. life? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about those years? Tell me about those early year, years, if you remember them, sort of being raised on the land. Um, who was with yeah, you? Yeah, like traveling to different time of the year, like, you know, like fall time, like 
wouldn't shoot a moose, move there, make dry meat, and move to where fishing places to make dry fish like that. And wintertime move to where we're going to stay all winter, you know, with that fishes. Everything was on the land. At the time there was no, I don't think there was hardly, maybe there was stores, but I wasn't allowed to go to town when I was young. <laughs> yeah, 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 would your parents or your relatives sort of, I wouldn't say go back and forth regularly, but I guess if they had to. I guess yeah, for, 40, you know, stuff that you needed and stuff, you know, like, you know, food, and like tea, sugar, stuff like that, flour. Yeah. Okay. Up until you were six years old and, uh, um, and then your, your family moved into town. Yeah, I had to go to the mission. Like there was a mission there, like all the kids have to go in there. Like they they go around, the priest goes around with the RCMP and make sure that say you got about three or four kids and if they're old enough, they got to go in there or else you get charged or something like that. And so everybody has to move to town and put their kids in there. So they put me in there when I was seven years old till eight. Then I went to Simpson for one year too. Then I came back nine and I stayed there till. 15, 16 years old. So it wasn't a choice to move into town. It was, yeah. it was, it was the law. Yeah. And your parents moved into town. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was so that you wouldn't have to stay at the residential yeah. school. Yeah. You could live at home, but yeah. you could go to school mm -hmm. during the day and then just come back home at night. Yeah. Transition must have been a little bit tough coming in off the land like that. Well, that's what, one thing that really helped me is that that first language I learned was my own language, and then when I was writing songs and stuff like that, and things like that, and it, it kind of helped me work with words, you know, to understand the words and to uh, to say what you really what you're saying. You know, what I mean, like with the language and the words, it kind of helped me because. That it wasn't the first language I learned before English, you know. Yeah. When you were living out on the land, you were living with like elders, your your grandfathers yeah. and your and grandmothers, my and so aunties. They, yeah, yeah, my grandfather was always around. And they would have been, uh, yeah, would have been speaking the true dialect, putting you straight, and yeah. you know, talking to you about right and wrong and stuff like that, and positive. You know, that was the thing. You know. The mission school. What was that? It was it was really hard because I, I I only could talk my own language, slavery, and, and I couldn't talk uh, English. And it was it took a, a while like to learn, you know. But they, they never taught you how to talk English when they brought the learner to show you how to pray. Three prayers: Our Father, Hail Mary, and Lord be to the Father's three prayers. It took me about one year or two years to learn that. <laughs> You know, you know it wasn't it wasn't easy. You know, like you know, every time you you did something wrong, you were punished and stuff like that. You know, it's it was kind of hard for the start, but until you you know what's going on, you know, you know, then you're trying to learn English so that you won't get hit no more. <laughs> it's a hell of a way to teach English, that's for sure. Yeah. Big changes for you, those two things. Um, and the other thing that I'm thinking of as well 
even when you moved into town, the highway hadn't been put in there no, yet. No. Can Can you remember when the highway went in and and what kind of changes that brought to your community? Yeah, it kind of uh, like it kind of opened, you know, like a lot of things. You know, the road. Maybe I was maybe about eleven, twelve years old when it happened, and like the stores, you had more. You could buy more. You know, what I mean, like you know. And you could leave, you know, you could go, in, if you have a vehicle, you could leave town if you want, you know. Even now with the bridges, like, I, like it's more convenient because before you're limited, you know, of going across that river, now you could go 24 hours and it's different. It's a, you know I mean? Like the road was the same thing, you know, like you weren't just only by boat like or dog team. Eh? Yeah. The change, I'm thinking of people coming in from yeah. the outside, but it would change the mindset yeah. Of, yeah. of the people of who the are living people. in the community yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah. So how did music come into your life? Like my my uncle was a song maker, like tea dance song maker. He was a, and a lot of my un- uncles used to play guitar. And we always had a guitar at home and since I was a kid. And I was trying to learn how to play it and used to watch my uncle sing and play guitar that's how it was always there and when the Christmas time everybody get together and they used to sing and used to watch them and my uncle was a song maker like a tea dance song maker and he used to always come and sing you know yeah good influences to, to have there from both sides, like you say, your your uncles who were the the team. Like that's how like Hinanagogo, that that's how they kind of helped me, like what it really means. Like it's like Hinanagogo, Hina means like we're the survivors of our people. Everything was so simple, you know, back then. You know, it wasn't so complicated. And I mean, like like now, like you know, it kind of helped me to do those things with the music, like that, you know, kind. Like the stories, kind of the values. Those were values that I learned. Like later on, that's why I wrote the songs. It's from those values that I learned. The stories from the all the songs I wrote. It's, it's from values, like mm-hmm. the dinner values, like helping, respecting, loving each other, and stuff like that. So you were probably one of the last generations of young people to probably have that grounding in, in a traditional lifestyle before you moved into town. I mean, not even so much being born in town and going out on the land. I mean, you were out on the land and then you came mm-hmm. into town. So the, the, the fundamentals were definitely imprinted on you at an early age. In those early years in Fort Providence, early and mid-1960s, can you describe a little bit about what was going on there? Most everybody was going to school to going to Fort Smith, the got. and the Queen went there in the nineteen sixty seven or something like that. Yeah. And that's when they had that band there, you know, the the Centineers, you know, the Tom Hutton and them. That was a big inspiration to me, like you know, when I was just young, you know, just mm-hmm. to see them play, you know, like it inspired me, like to, and that's when I kind of. Start playing music more and trying to learn more, you know, from different people, you know. Did you have, did you have a guitar in hand by yeah. that point in time? Oh, yeah, when I was young, I had a, had a guitar and everything. It was acoustic, you know, learning, you know, 
And then he went to Smith and for 15, 16 years, he played in a band there with some boys from Deda and from Bilo, mm-hmm. another guy from Providence. But in that time before you left for school and Fort Smith and stuff, were you playing with uh, with other young people or other people? I was in town? Just mostly learning, just like learning, mostly yeah. learning how to strum and how learning chords and learning mm. trying to learn songs. Okay, mostly Hank Williams, you know, just those kind of singers, you know. From uh, your uncle, yeah. or your uncles, and, yeah. and and who else would have been in the community yeah. playing? Do you remember the, the names? People, you know that that sang. You know, I mean, we used to go watch square dance and. After they had a score dance, they have a little break, and someone used to sing Hank Williams songs, and you see, watch how they they played the chords and stuff like that. And I mean, the thing time they learn, eh? Early YouTube. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the other players? Like who who would have been the players that were playing the square dances and in the community at like that time? My uncle Mitch used to be a score dance caller, and there's another like. Um, Albert Sambler used to play fiddle and had different guys playing guitar and in between a break some people used to sing. You know, there was no microphones, there was no amplifier, nothing. You know, just two guitars and a fiddle. Was there electricity in the community at that time? No. Or do you, no, when when no. did when did electricity finally get there? Maybe about the late sixties, I guess around there. So you, yeah. <laughs> you weren't playing any electric guitars. No, no. <laughs> just acoustic. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so a lot, a lot of country and square dances, right? And, and, uh, and different and, band, like you know, like that singer, like Smalling Johnny. You know, those, those singers like that. They used to come around once a year from down south somewhere, and they used to do shows. Like that, and like music, you know, and you see. What was the kids, guy's, What was, was the guy's name? Smiling Johnny or something. He yeah. came from Saskatchewan somewhere down that way. And he used to come up with a band, him and his wife and the, the guitar player. Wow. And like Wolf Carter, I seen him. You know, just a kid, too, when he came up a long time ago. You know, just a kid, you know, mostly about 10, 11 years old. Holy smokes, yeah. I have to check that one out. Yeah. yeah. You're, the, you're really the first person, because I ask people. Yeah, they and then they played in the school. He had two guitar players. It wasn't one of those. Peter Laverty played played guitar with him, and then Danny McDonald or something. Had another guy who was playing the guitar. Just he had two of them with him. Wow. Yeah. That would have been inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's really something. I'll have to I'll have to check on that. But there's not a lot of musicians yeah. that talk about the musicians coming up here. Yeah, and when I was going to school too, like when I was just a kid too, and my, my uncle used to go to Cato Hall. Mm-hmm. He used to play in a band. They called it Arctic Ramblers, and he used to sing. Uncle Tiny. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Richard Lafferty was in yeah, that band. Yeah, Richard Lafferty and, and Walter Doctor. Yeah. All those guys, you know, they were in there. I think Alfred Lockhart might have been in there as yeah. well. Yeah, that was a pretty cool little group that was happening there at that time. Yeah. I just managed to talk to Richard about that a little mm-hmm. bit. But, yeah, pretty neat what was happening at Acacia Hall. Before you left for Fort Smith, you were just basically, like you say, just practicing, learning. Yeah. You weren't necessarily out playing at any of the, the, no. the square dances. No. At the same time, were the tea dances still sort of strong yeah. with you yeah. at that time as yeah. well? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Even at that time, how did you get your music? Like, was it just from radio or was there Elkin It was like it was a dream. Like, for me, it was a dream. Like, uh, when I was about four or five years old, I had a dream, like, where I was singing 
And everybody's holding hands and they're yelling at me, saying, Johnny, don't stop, don't stop. But I couldn't hear what I was singing. I was drawing towards uh, music like I was drawing towards it, like, you know. And the more I played, like, the more I could, you know, it kind of opened, you know, my eyes and my ears and my mind, like, I was driven towards it, like, you know what I mean? Like, to the dream, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I dream of what I was going to do, like, when I was about four or five years old. Wow, that's... Yeah. That's a beautiful thing, like a vision of, of what you were going to be doing. Yeah. That's a gift. Yeah. That's a gift for sure. The music around you besides the, the live playing, if there was, quote-unquote, new music coming out, were you getting it from the radio or... Records and so radio. You had a record player in the family yeah. and stuff like that? that you could, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Listening to a lot of country, yeah. mm -hmm. a lot of country stuff, yeah. <clears throat> and the radio, were you able to tune into... Mm -hmm. Memphis and all of those yeah. different places. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where you all learn all old rock and roll songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get old enough to go to another school outside of Fort Providence, uh, and what grade or age would that have been that you guys you had to oh, make that grade, choice? Grade nine or grade something. nine. Okay, so yeah. high school age. You would have had a choice to, to go to a Cato Hall, which was running at that time, or to Fort yeah. Smith. Uh, you went to Fort Smith. Is there any reason why you, it, you chose Everybody that? was going there. Like <laughs> okay. all, you know, all the boys from Providence were going there, so there was a place to go. And a lot of them went to a Cato Hall. As far as like the, the majority of young people making the choice to go to Fort Smith, was there a particular reason? Was it a, a programming thing that was going on there, or was it... A warmer place to go like in. hockey <laughs> and stuff like that oh, you know okay. it was good I spent about two three years there what was the music scene like in Fort Smith because Fort Smith at that time was in in competition with Yellowknife to be the capital yeah and, and so it was a pretty jumping little place but what was what was the music scene like it was there? it was pretty wild there you know because uh, like the the hostel where we stayed that supervisor was Robert Bolio and he, he, he he played drums. They had a band eh, okay. in town, and like once a month they have a battle of the bands. You know, in the school, eh? maybe about ten bands in town, like Randy Daniels and all those boys, like Leonard Tigerly and all those boys, all Danny Barberson and all. I had a lot of bands. As we had a band, our own band too. And Granite College had their own band. Yeah, maybe ten bands once a month. Yeah, battle of the bands. Battle of the bands once yeah. a month. Yeah, wow, that's that was cool because we used to practice when this. I would say I learned about four or five songs, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. get them real good so that yeah. you get ready. It's good incentive to practice. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, you were able to practice right in the hall, or they yeah, they had a, like a place where we could practice. It was good, you know. Yeah, they kind of help you with music. Did the college supply the, the mm -hmm. drums and yeah. everything else? So that was all. Yeah, was some all people there. had their own, yeah. own guitars and some had their own amps. Yeah. So um, you would have been introduced to the electric guitar then, yeah. probably at that time, right? Leander Boldy was there, you know. Uh, yes, that, indeed, yeah. He was, when he was young, he was a little guitar player. He still is. He was yeah, 16, sure. 17 years yeah. old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's all he did all day. You know, he played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful thing for sure. Did you jump on the electric guitar, or I was I, I played bass. I learned how to need a bass player, so I was playing rhythm for them first time, and then that and I learned how to play bass and played bass for about three years. Those boys, okay, different different players. Yeah, yeah. Can, yeah um, so yeah, you mentioned some of them there, Alan Daniels and and Danny Bodverson. Yeah. Um, I think at that point in time, Pat Burke and Tom Hudson were probably yeah. up at a cage. Yeah, they were over here. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It's interesting that whole thing yeah. and people going away from. They the usually go over there and back. play sometimes, like for dance school dance, like a grad or stuff like that. So you, yeah, the guys like from Acacia would come down. Steen, Steen, Glass Illusion. You yeah. know that. So they would come down to Fort mm-hmm. Smith and play. Well, that's good. They they used to do a lot more of that back in those days than they do now. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm still amazed at how they would just think nothing of booking a band for the weekend and chartering an airplane and you're on your way. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that doesn't quite happen. That sounds like a pretty exciting place to be yeah. as a young person oh, who's yeah, into yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the names of some of the other guys that you were playing with again, sorry, in in, uh, in, the, in that band in, in Fort Smith? There was uh, Leander and there's Ernie, Ernie Laverty. He played drums. Like Morris Martin played lead guitar. He's from Data or somewhere. George Goulet played rhythm. Morris Natalie sang. Yeah, Leander used to play lead guitar. Yeah, and Victor Constant used to sing too. Yeah. Do you remember what kind of songs you were doing? What songs? C- CCR, all those songs again. Yeah. yeah. The guitar instrumental groups, the Ventures, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Any women playing or singing or girls that were into singing? When we were in school, I, I never hardly seen any, hardly any girls singing. Just lately, like, just lately, they start coming out. You know? I managed to find a couple, yeah. and uh, and, and uh, maybe a couple more. I'll have four out of maybe 30 or 32 or whatever. But, yeah, very very few women that way, I guess. Well, so. it's because it's, it's really hard, that's why. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> it is. You know, it's not just... It's not just like that, you know. It's commitment, and you got to change, and you got to change your positive, and change your life around. And if you want to keep on going, you know, you got to change. You know, that's and sometimes like you think it's impossible. You know, the music. You know, I mean, and sometimes and all of a sudden it, you have to practice and work at it, work at it, and then you get it. You know. You don't just play it like that. You got to earn every little note that you're going to play, you know, or word. Mm-hmm. It's got to be earned, you know, and it's it's not easy. It wasn't easy for you. and you, know, had to, you I had, had to you change my life. I had to, you know, stay away from alcohol and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I changed my life to a positive, and I'm lucky that I had a good woman and family that supported me and helped me, you know what I mean, while yeah. I was doing it. It wasn't just like that, you know. There was loud up and down. Sometimes you think you just feel like quitting and not going to play no more. <laughs> Been there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but the music, you know, helped me positive. That's the thing I learned from it, you know. And all the things I have, the music taught me that I had to earn it. And the music taught me that, 
That's, you know, whatever you put in, that's what you're going to get out of it. You don't put nothing, you don't get nothing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the bottom line, right? There. That's Cardinal right. Rule. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's how it is, you know. Yeah. And then some people can't take that, you know. And yeah, and you got to work. Yeah. You know. Well, especially especially these days where everything is instant yeah. and easy yeah, and accessible and comfort thing and yeah. all the rest of that stuff. And as you said before, it's not, it's doesn't come that easy, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work, but those lessons, like you say, can be pretty much applied to anywhere else. It kind of helped me too, you know, kind of, you know, the music to just stay positive, it kind of help me, you know. I'm trying to figure out things like that. The more positive you are, it's easier to, to figure out the music, you know. Sort of swings around both ways that way too, where I find if I don't play, I get really grumpy. Well, the, me, like I don't <laughs> play, I go back down. And I got to make my get myself back up here again. You know, that's why I try to do it almost every day. Like in the morning, the first thing I do everything around the house, and then I get on the music. Yeah. You know, just working on songs and all that. I got to stay on top of it if I want to finish it. You know, what I mean, got to keep on it. You know. Yeah. You know, so I start early. The first thing in the morning, it's well, my mind's still fresh. Do about two or three hours of it. You know. But sometimes you get right into it, the, music, the time just flies. You don't know. You know, sometimes it's 12 o'clock, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no. no I know exactly what you mean for sure. Um, when you were in school in Fort Smith, did you get a chance to go back home to Fort Providence for holidays? Oh, yeah, yeah. Christmas time, like that. Like in the summertime. And did you play when you went yeah, back home? I yeah, I went back home. I played with uh, Ernie Constant. And Louis, his brother, okay. used to play in the bar there, so played with them, played bass for them. Okay. You know, I was just learning how to sing then. I was just like harmony or singing along, that's all he did. Till later on, I got into singing. Like after from school, yeah, I went back home then. When, that's when um, Ernie was there, and Ernie moved here with highways and that's when Albert Canadian came back. We started playing. And, but we never played in public for a long time, for a year, learning songs. And, and then he said, Hey, we want you to sing in school when he was in the States. So I told him, You should teach me how to sing. He said, Well, just sing what I'm singing. So that's how I learned to sing. It was from him. Okay. You know, played in the band with him for about 10 years. Along the way, we played with different people. Complete like Herbie Laverty played Leedy for us a couple of times, like Tony Buggins and Bill Carpenter, that guy from Toronto. Oh, I'm working working my way up to that that time here. When you went back home and and even going through school in in Fort Smith, and this is the one sort of observation I have. Tony Buggins and I talk about this. The music was changing really fast, like rock and roll and electric guitar and guitar instrumentals and. And sort of around that time, mid-60s, late-60s and stuff like that, I've sort of asked how they kept up on those changes and, and, you know, whether they tried to learn, you know, the different styles of music. I guess they would have to, the different bands coming up um, and, and quote-unquote, it's popular music, so that's what people want mm -hmm. to hear at dances. Did you guys stick pretty much with, with the country music? Uh, no, mostly rock like and roll? rock and roll, really? like adventures and, you know, Beatles like, material? Yeah, Beatles, like that. All this stuff yeah. like that, you know. 
Time Won't Let Me, Pushing Too Hard, and all those songs like that. All those songs. Beach Boys. We used to order the records and write the songs down. That's how we used to do it. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So you'd be, yeah. order, you'd be ordering records like through mail yeah. order? There were only about four something a record at that time. Yeah. And through, was, through Hudson Bay or? or? Through, yeah, through, through the through mail. Cool. You used to write them down. We had a, like a Robert Bowley played drums like he was a supervisor there, but he kind of helped like his. He played in a different band too, like you know, mm-hmm. with Tony Buggins and Philip Constant and Ricky Manville, and they had a really good band too. So he kind of helped us, you know, encourage us to play, like you know, I mean, to you know, to practice and you know how to play music, you know, how to play together. So it kind of helped us too. Oh, right on. Yeah. So it wasn't just yeah. a music teacher up there, sort yeah. of. Trying to trying to beat it into you. You yeah. had your 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 peers yeah. in your age group there, being, yeah. you know, helping you Help along me the way. Out, yeah, you know. beautiful. Yeah, very cool. So when you finished school in Fort Smith, uh, what what did you do after that? I went to work. I worked down south for a while, but I never played. Never played music. I just worked. Then worked in Simpson for about seven eight years. Then I moved back home in this, like in the 80s, the early, early 80s, like, and started working there and playing music. So you, you weren't playing music when you, when you were down south? No. Um, well, I had a guitar, there. but I never mm. just, you know, to my, myself, like I just played and, you know. Practiced that way? Yeah. How about in Simpson? Were you able to play no, with any? Never, uh, but I used to go back home. And play with Ernie, the boys, like, yeah. just go back home and play with them. And, like, in the snowshoe in, and we played there. So now we've sort of caught up to that time where you were talking about, I think, is it around this time that Albert Canadian came back to town? Yeah. You're also very well known for writing and singing in, in your language, which is South Slavey, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What events helped or inspired you to write and sing in your language? As I was learning more about music, as I was learning more about it, and I was listening to my uncle's songs and things like that, and listening to elders, and like, and I was learning what what all the words, what it meant, you know, what the word really means, and. Then, as I learned music and I learned how to put those together, and it's, it's, the first song was like Hinanaho, you know, which is a simple song, but it took me over one year to put that together. <laughs> you know what I mean, like it, it wasn't just, I went as I learned music, you know, and then like as I learned from Albert and stuff like that, and from Bill and stuff like that, you know, and like learn how the music works and learn my scales and all that stuff like that from them. And like I went to school, like playing music same time, you know. But at, at the same time, we're, we're, when you were growing up and playing all of that popular music, how much were you singing in your own language in those early years? Were you singing at all in South Slavia or was it all English? Yeah, just in, in parties, like, you yeah. know, I used to sing in my language because we had songs, we had songs before. But people were really, you know, the it's like you weren't allowed you know, like they were kind of scared to, you know, to say things in their language or to, 
Because before you couldn't talk your language, you know what I mean? And you know that, like when I first started, like when I got to that place, like where I started writing songs for my, like in my language, like there's nobody there. There was just only me. So no, there was no certain way that I had to do it. There was nobody there, and just I just used elders and like my my wife and asked them like I write a song and or work on songs and work on something and I tell them no how like what do you think you know mm. you know. So there was nobody else that was sort of doing it that you went hey I can do that too and then yeah. do it your own way again that sort of brings it up to the the next one. Who were the elders or the musicians or the writers that that inspired you to write and sing in your language? Like Albert Kennedy and those guys, like you know, like you know, Bill Carpenter, like I know, like kind of encouraged me. You know, should write songs in your own language. It'll teach you how to write songs. You know, and like my elders too, like the like the stories that they're telling, like they were losing them. Like the young people weren't listening to them. So that's what he said. You no, know, try to write a song with the stories. You know, there's different ways we could use. You know, like even. I wrote, right now I'm working on a song like where he says, write a song where he's praying. So I wrote a song, Creator, help me to be a good person, you know. And he's singing and he, he's praying at the same time. And then there's another elder told me, Jody Jones wrote songs about drinking. Why don't you write a song in Slavey about to stop drinking? <laughs> so I wrote a song, you know, Enslavey, you know, I'm going to be recording it pretty soon. Beautiful. You know, that's mostly from elders and they give you words, you know, like sometimes I, like, in, especially in my language, like, you know, like I get to where I'm, I can't go on, I can't go on no more and it comes to a really hard place, like, you know, I had to leave it alone for a while and I go visit elders and they got the words, they got that one word that I need, you know, but I got to sit there and listen, you know. I go out in the bush too. I go camping and I go hunting, whatever, just to get that inspiration and where the story is coming from, you know, and go to that place and try imagine, you know, how did those guys do it when they had nothing compared to now, you know what I mean? And then you under, really understand what he's talking about, you know, when he's talking to that elder like that, you know, then you understand. Mostly values, you know, it's just like the Ten Commandments, it's, it's the same thing. Everything is for out, out on the land, you know, to preserve the land, you know. That's how it is. Like, all the things that I learned is mostly is protecting the land and the women and children and your language and your way of life, you know. That's what it was, like the values. And that's what I learned. That's how I wrote songs, you know. Of them. Like, maybe in the river, for the river... That song was banned from us, you know, in the beginning, like, you know, 1700. Wow. And bring that song back, you know. There's still people who are carrying that song. Yeah. Yeah. From all you of know, that time. Like before, they couldn't sing it because it was banned. You can't sing it, you know. It was against the law. Hmm. You know what I mean? But like, it was still it was still passed on oral, in, yeah. in, the, in the oral yeah. tradition that way. And so even though people weren't able to yeah. sing it in mm -hmm. public or anything like that, the song is still being carried forward. Mm -hmm. Is that is that the only song? There must be other songs. Where there must be there must be more songs, but you got to learn the history and 
stories of the people, like what they've done there, like especially their way of life and their language, everything, like their songs. And uh, the one thing I learned too is like while I was learning, like all the stories, and I was learning about myself, like about being Dene and stuff like that. And the one thing they did was that the connection we have is true dreamers, true as we call them, not him, that has a connection up there to him. And what they did was that when they first came, said, you don't believe in your dream. They don't want you to believe in your dream because that's your connection to the creator up there so that you won't believe in yourself. So when you get out of that mission, he wants you to, to think that you're a white man, think like a white man, not not like the because that connection was taken off to the creator up there. And the, that's the elder that told me, you know, like he said, you no, know, like when he... When he wasn't there, he said, no, people that work for God, they don't do things like that, you know. <laughs> you know, that's what he said, you know, like, you know, they made him a different kind of person, you know. Today he has a hard time because of things like that. And the brainwashed him, you know, like, he had a connection before, you know, to believe in himself. That's what helped me to do what I did, is I had to believe in myself and who I am. And that's by praying, it kind of helped me too, it kind of guided me and try to keep on that, even though it's hard, try to keep on that road, you know. And being positive makes it easier, you know. And I found out that we don't come from negative. Hmm. We come from positive. That's where we come from. We don't come from there. And once you know there, you, you could get out. Once you get out, you could do a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. You could see, you know, positive, uh, you know, opens your eyes and your ears and your mind. This concludes part one of the Musicians of the Midnight Sun podcast interview with Johnny Landry. You can scroll through the show notes to listen to part two. I'm Pat Brady. Thanks for listening.